Greetings, everybody. If you're a fan of classic rock, then you'll probably remember a very popular song released by the One Man Electrical Band in 1971. The song was called Signs. And the whole point of the song is that everywhere there is a sign that says, keep out. A sign that says your hair is too long. You can't come in here. A sign that says you're not dressed right. You can't come in. There's a sign that says you believe the wrong thing. You made too many mistakes in the past. You need to keep out. Do this. Don't do that. Can't you read the sign? Seems like everywhere we go, there are signs that tell us that if you aren't one of us, then don't even think about coming in. Well, as human beings, we kind of have a knack for putting people in groups and making others around us feel like they're second class, like they don't belong. I love how comedian Tim Hawkins points this out. Take a look at this short clip. People just aren't nice anymore. They're not at all. You know, I mean, I fly a lot. I go in a lot of airports and stuff. And they always, you know, and they, they do the, the announcements for getting on the plane. It's always the same, like, first class people, you're welcome to board. First class, first class, Sky Elite status, Sky Team, Sky members, One World Alliance members, Platinum Plus, Platinum First Class. All the successful people, go ahead and get on the plane right now. Success. If you've ever done anything with your life, thank you for being born. We love you all. Please get on the plane at your leisure. We'd like to continue boarding with the unwashed masses, the unwashed masses. All you gypsies, tramps, and thieves, it's your turn to put your shoes on and grab whatever you travel with. Grab your chickens and your milk crates, it's your turn to get on. It's us, honey. We're gonna fly on the air. We're gonna go real high. Now that's a silly example that we can have some fun with. But you and I both know that this can be a very painful issue for some of us. Because somewhere along the line, you got the message. Maybe it wasn't verbalized. Maybe it was. Maybe it was just a condescending look that told you loud and clear that you aren't welcome here. You just don't fit in. You don't have the right look, the right clothes. You don't know the right people. You aren't conservative enough. You aren't liberal enough. You're not masculine enough. You're not feminine enough. Your skin's the wrong color. Your house is the wrong size. You live in the wrong neighborhood. You went to the wrong school. You just got the message loud and clear that you weren't welcome. And for some of you, the most painful part of that is that you got that message from a church or some group of people who claim to know and follow God. You know, I remember it like it was just yesterday. It was the summer of 1986 and I had just finished seventh grade. And I was at home helping my dad with some things outside at the house on a Sunday evening. We lived in town, and I could hear coming down the street this loud sound of kids' voices. I peeked around the corner of my house and saw this group of about 20 kids from the local church. They were my age, and they were with their youth minister. And they were pushing this huge multicolored ball down the street. I'll bet the thing had to be seven foot tall. It just looked like a lot of fun. And they were all laughing and really enjoying themselves. And I went out by the street and watched them go by, hoping in the deepest part of myself that one of them, any of them, would just invite me to join the fun. I was really hungry for friendship and community at that time of my life. And they saw me, but just as soon as they had come, they were gone. And the laughter faded as they continued pushing the ball further down the street. 
Now, we didn't go to church anywhere at that time in my life. And I have sometimes wondered if I might have met Jesus earlier in my life had one of those kids invited me to join their group and I somehow got connected to their church. But no invite was ever given. Probably all of us have a story. Unfortunately, some of us have several stories about how we were the odd man out, the last one picked, or the person who wasn't picked at all. Have you ever been the one who didn't get the party invitation? The one who didn't get the phone call? The one who wasn't asked to join? We all know the sting of being rejected, overlooked, or ignored, to be excluded instead of included. We've been talking about the upside-down kingdom that Jesus came to bring, and I'm so happy to tell you today that his kingdom is inclusive, not exclusive. As I said a few weeks ago, our Father wants a crowded kingdom, and that becomes apparent through the ministry of Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't just come to start a social club that meets on the weekends that is just for people who've got it all figured out, people who believe the right things. No. Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God, where all are invited and all are welcome. Remember in Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us to pray and says we should pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. In other words, we shouldn't just wait until we go to heaven someday, but we should be living out the value of the kingdom of God for a world that's around us watching to see how we live. So that's what I want to share with you today is how the kingdom of God is inclusive, not exclusive. Now, immediately when I use those words, some of you are going to get your feathers ruffled. You're going to bristle a little bit because those terms can mean different things that Jesus didn't mean. So some of you say, Solomon, what do you mean by inclusive? Well, I'm glad you asked. So let me start by telling you what it doesn't mean. Inclusive doesn't mean that we water down the truth in order to draw and attract bigger crowds. It doesn't mean that we don't call out right from wrong or talk about sin. It doesn't mean that we never challenge one another or confront one another in love. It doesn't mean that we will agree on everything and get along perfectly. And it certainly doesn't mean that you just do what you feel and I'll do what I feel because anything goes. Here's what it does mean. It means that the kingdom of God, in that kingdom, all are invited and all are welcome. I think this is why so many of us love John 3.16, where we read that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We love that verse because it's so inclusive. He loves the world. Who does that include? Everybody. Who can have everlasting life? Whosoever believes. Not whosoever has their act altogether, not whosoever falls in a certain income bracket, not whosoever has the higher IQ. No, just whosoever. That means you or me or any human being. It's an open invitation. And because it is open to whosoever, that should eliminate in us any kind of spiritual pride in the way that we treat people or think about people or interact with people, especially those who have yet to respond to the invitation of Jesus. And just in case you thought you contributed in some way or thought you were so lovable or irresistible to God that he just had to include you, let me remind you of what scripture says about you and me. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, 
made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. None of us can boast. None of us can take credit. None of us can claim to be the founding members of the Salvation Club because it is all by God's grace. In other words, Jesus did all the heavy lifting for us so that salvation is a gift that comes to us by his grace. So for everyone who has ever felt like you don't know enough, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you've got too many skeletons in your closet, too many mistakes in your past, too many failed relationships, bogged down by too many addictions, buried in too much debt, shame, guilt, and regret, Jesus says to you, come on in. You're invited. You're welcome. Now that doesn't mean that everyone will accept Jesus' invitation. It just means that you and I don't decide who gets in and who doesn't. That's up to the one with the nail-pierced hands. See, Jesus was always ready to be a friend for people who already had enough enemies. Have you noticed that? In fact, the most common accusation against Jesus was that he was a friend of sinners. And Jesus never backed down from that accusation. And that is good news for you and me. We read in Matthew 9, 9, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. In other words, Matthew's thinking, hey, if Jesus could change someone like me, what if I get Jesus together with my colleagues and my drinking buddies? Maybe Jesus can have the same impact on them as he did me. Then verse 11. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? The religious leaders missed it. And guess what? There's times when I've missed it too. And due to our brokenness and sin, the human heart, by default, wants to put people into categories. These people are in, these people are out. These people are okay, these people aren't okay. These people are acceptable, these people are not acceptable. Listen, if everyone can't find hope at the foot of the cross, then no one can because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There aren't categories of people, there are just people, sinful people. And Jesus loves people and he is the only one who has the power to free us from our sin. Therefore, as residents of this upside down kingdom of God, we do everything we can to get people to the Jesus that we love and that we know. Look at verse 12 now. Jesus never gives the disciples an opportunity to respond to the smug question asked by the religious leaders. Jesus jumps in like a mother bear protecting her cubs. Verse 12, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, 
Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. The Gospels are very clear that those considered to be the worst of the time were genuinely attracted to the holiest of all time. Now to the Pharisees, this was a credibility-destroying contradiction. But to Matthew, it was proof that Jesus really was the hope of the world. See, over and over again in Matthew's Gospel, which is why I love his Gospel, he gives us a hint that Jesus is an includer, not an excluder. Look with me at Matthew 15, 21. It says here, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman, now let's just stop right there, okay? To the first century Jew, Canaanite was a curse word. Mark is going to call her a Syrophoenician woman to kind of soften things up a bit. But there were levels of scum, and the lowest level of scum was a Canaanite. So there was a woman from that vicinity who came to him crying, Look! Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now look at what this woman had against her. Her race was against her. She's a Canaanite. The disciples are against her. They don't even want her around. The devil himself is against her. Her daughter is demon-possessed. All these things are against this woman, and everybody's telling her to be quiet, shut up, go away, and she won't stop until Jesus has the last word. And in the end, she simply begs Jesus for just a crumb of his mercy. And Jesus is overwhelmed, and he responds by saying, Woman, you have great faith. And this is remarkable because there are only two people in Matthew's gospel whose faith Jesus commends. This woman, and in chapter 8, there's a Roman soldier with a sick servant. So only two people in Matthew's gospel get their faith commended. And what are they both? Gentiles, outsiders. And both of them begged Jesus for something. And once again, true to his nature, Jesus is making room at the table for people who've been told all their life, to leave the room. So let me tell you what I think is the number one key for inclusion into the kingdom. Because Jesus didn't just give us a list where he said, okay, here's the three things you must do in order to be fit for the kingdom of God. Because if he had done that, you know what we would have done? We would have systematized it, we would have legalized it, and we would have messed it up. So instead, what he did was give us principles to discern, to keep our hearts right. So hear this. Citizenship in the kingdom of God begins with an admission that you could never earn it. When Jesus taught about the kingdom, a crowd gathered, and the very first thing he told them was this in Matthew 5.3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. The only way to receive the kingdom of God is by begging. 
The king responds to beggars. That is why the poor have a head start on the kingdom of God over the rich, because the poor have a lot more practice at begging than the rest of us do. Now let's follow this up and fast forward to when Jesus is on the cross. Something happens on the cross that really shows the inclusive nature of Jesus and his kingdom. You remember that Jesus didn't die alone. There was a criminal on each side of him. They were being crucified as well. They were paying for their crimes with their lives. One criminal begins to insult and taunt Jesus. The other criminal comes to Jesus' defense and speaks up for Jesus. And he simply says to Jesus, he begs Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? That's it. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't confess to Jesus that he's a sinner in need of grace. He doesn't say a prayer to Jesus. He doesn't say, I believe you are the son of God and I accept you as my savior. All he said was, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked right at him and said, you remember? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Does that sound simple? And you can't accuse Jesus of lowering the bar or watering things down because he didn't say it to the other thief. No, Jesus was assessing this guy's heart and he knew that behind his question was this man's confession. It was his recognition that Jesus was Lord and that he came to reconcile us back to God. It was his admission that he had done nothing to merit this grace and all he could do was beg for it. You don't boast your way into the kingdom of God saying, I've done this and I've done that and I've done this and here's why I should be let in. No, you don't boast your way in. You beg your way into the kingdom. Let me end with this. Professional singer Ruth Anna Metzger tells of a time when she was invited to sing at the wedding of a very affluent man who lived out in the Pacific Northwest. In fact, the reception was going to be held at Seattle's Columbia Tower and take place on two entire floors of that skyscraper. And Ruth Anna and her husband Roy were excited about attending the reception just as much, if not more, than her singing at the wedding itself. And when they reached the reception area, there was a maitre d' with a book. And when the guests got up there, he would ask their name and see if it was in the book, and then he would have the guests seated at their appropriate table. Soon, it was the Metzger's turn. Ruth Anna gave her name and her husband's name, and the maitre d' said, I'm sorry, I, I don't see your name in the book. So he had her spell their name and looked again, and he said, I'm sorry, but your name's not here. She said, well, there must be some mistake. I'm the singer. I just sang at the wedding. And the gentleman answered, now listen to this. He said, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. If your name is not in this book, you can't come in. And he motioned to the waiter, and the waiter came over and he said, would you please escort, escort this couple to the service elevator so that they can return to their car? The Metzgers followed the waiter past beautifully decorated tables laden with all kinds of food, amazing ice sculptures. An orchestra was ready to play, and musicians were all in white tuxedos. And the waiter just ushered them to an elevator and pushed G for parking garage. And after getting in the car, they drove for several miles until Roy gently put his hand on his wife's arm and said, what happened, honey? She said, I don't know. 
I remember getting the invitation and just set it aside. And I guess I never bothered to send the RSVP. I was just so busy. And I thought, besides, I'm the singer. Surely I can go to the reception without sending an RSVP. That's a true story. And I think it reveals something about a very real healthy fear that all of us have had at one point or another. And that fear is that we'll get to the end of our lives and there will be something grand and beautiful that we yearn and desire to be part of. But instead, we will just be taken down somewhere we just don't want to go. And the good news is that God has provided a way so that no person on the planet needs to come to the end of their life and experience what she experienced. In fact, here it is again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Two key words. Whosoever, it's open to anyone, there's your invitation. And believe. There's your RSVP. Won't you pray with me? Father, thank you that your kingdom is one that's inclusive, one that's looking to, to welcome and invite and not to turn away. Father, thank you that Jesus came and paid the ultimate price with his life so that all the whosoevers of the world, no matter what they've done, no matter what they're struggling with, no matter what sin they've engaged in, no matter what their problems or their woes or their heartaches, but the, all the whosoevers would have an open invitation to come into your kingdom. There's the invitation. And Lord, I pray that everyone who is listening today, if they have not already, will RSVP and they will put their faith in and they will trust in and they will beg Lord Jesus himself for entry into his kingdom. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God who wants your kingdom to be full. Help us as followers of Christ to model the kingdom values here on this earth that are reflected in heaven. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.